Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's that time of the year where the tournament is finally upon us. College basketball takes center stage. BetOnline is the number one spot for bets, odds, information, and the 2022 college basketball bracket contest. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get started today. Bet online, where the game starts. Oh yeah, everybody. It is time for the Memes of the Weekend podcast here on the Take It Easy podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome in, everybody. It is March 14th, according to my count. May not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening We've got a packed show for you today. I want to talk real quick about Major League Baseball's lockout ending. They came to a compromise. Who would have thunk it in this era of divisiveness and management versus labor that one could come to a compromise? But that is the case that happened there. We'll talk about that. We will talk about what is going on with the Dallas Cowboys. Something I found interesting with Amari Cooper and Demarcus Lawrence that is kind of funny, also kind of just a podcast topic that I needed to find some place to weave in, and memes of the weekend seem like the place to do it. We'll talk to our guests later on this week. And by the way, Tom Brady and uh, Tom Brady decided to unretire, like right in the middle of all of this. I thought it was going to be heavy selection Sunday, talking about college basketball and laughing at the bracket a little bit, but Tom Brady unretired, which made the internet a toxic hellhole for the second time this weekend. This one was a toxic hellhole just because everyone was throwing the Tom Brady will never retire, the undisputed goat is back, when he didn't go anywhere. He didn't go anywhere. He went on vacation for a month and decided he was going to keep playing the same way that it was when I said a week before he renounced his retirement that he was 100% going to return next season, or 0% that he would retire. I got that wrong. He did indeed retire, but he didn't actually retire. He just went on vacation for a month, and lo and behold, Tom Brady is back. So by the way, there's just a shit ton to talk about here today. There's also a, a men's basketball bracket that's available I don't really want to spend a ton of time talking about the men's college basketball bracket other than to just laugh at a few fun things. Number one, Texas Southern. Uh, Texas Southern exists as a basketball program to play in the first four. It is really incredible how this works out for for Texas Southern. And Texas Southern basketball back in 2014, made the tournament for the first time in 12 years. And they've built a little bit of a powerhouse in the worst conference in college basketball, which is the SWAC. Shout out to the old SWAC back in the days. But this is the SWAC. It is a terrible conference. They may be the conference of a team you know called Stephen F. Austin, 
when they used to have a bunch of crazy tournament runs. Yeah, Stephen F. Austin left that conference a couple of years ago. And the teams that have remained in their place overwhelmingly is the SWAC champion Texas Southern University. Because Texas Southern has become a household name of playing in the first four in Dayton. Texas Southern in 2014 made it to the first round in Dayton and they lost in the first round. Then in 2015, they actually got a regular bid. They were a 15 seed, and they got a regular normal bid. By the way, all of these teams, double-digit losses. Why are they double-digit losses? Because they lose all of their non-conference games all the time. So anyways, 2017, they make it to the first four. They lose in the first four. 2018, make it to the first four. Lose in the first four. 2021, make it to the first four. Lose in the first four. This year, make it to the first four. They're going to lose in the first four. By the way, 2020 did not have a March Madness, but they would have been in the mix to make it to the first four because they were 12 and 6. So of the last five tournaments that have held a March Madness, the last five years that have held a March Madness, Texas Southern has played in the first four in Dayton four times. Four times in five years, and they've never won in the first four. And they've gone through two different coaches, by the way. One of those coaches' name is Mike Davis. He now coaches at the University of Detroit in the slightly glamier Horizon League. And the coach of Texas Southern now is a guy named Johnny Jones. You might know, you might not know who Johnny Jones is. Johnny Jones was the short-lived head coach at LSU, who is famous for not making the tournament with Ben Simmons, the number one pick in the draft, as his best player. He's now coaching at the Texas Southern University. Uh, I believe their mascot is the Tigers. To now a second first four in three years. So Johnny Jones, as LSU fired his replacement, Will Wade, over the weekend, who will <laughs> they want to laugh with Morgan from Australia about. They, they couldn't hold on to the Will Wade allegations any longer. They finally had to tell him to piss off. Uh, Johnny Jones now coaching Texas Southern to their fifth first four in the first four's existence. By the way, the first four has only existed 11 years and four times in the last five March Madnesses. Texas Southern is playing in the first four. I just really, really wanted to talk about how amazing that is. So, because we want to talk about Tom Brady, and because we want to talk about Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys, and because we want to talk about baseball, I'm bringing back an old segment here on the podcast, and it is called The Fastest 10 Minutes. The Fastest 10 Minutes here on the Take It Easy podcast. When we first started doing this podcast back in 2020, every Monday, we would have a fastest 10 minutes on what happened in college basketball. This was back when I really cared about the results of sporting events. Now I don't give a shit anymore. But back then, I really cared about Chris Stapp's Porzingis' revenge game against the Dallas Maver- or for the Dallas Mavericks against the New York Knicks. Why? Because I was a naive, insecure kid as a child who thought that sports mattered way, way more than they did. But anyways, the fastest 10 minutes is a segment we bring back every now and then when we need to talk college basketball. And so, in 10 minutes, 
I'm going to run through or attempt to run through my entire men's and women's college basketball bracket. It's going to be difficult, but I think it can be done within 10 minutes. Go through 126, or sorry, no, 130 matchups in a span of 10 minutes. So if we're going to attempt this, I'm going to need you to pull up the men's and women's basketball brackets. You might want to pause this podcast. I'll give you a chance to fill a little bit. Pull up your men's bracket. Pull up your women's bracket. We're going to go down the line real quick in all of the regions. You can always pause and go back on a podcast. It is a podcast. You can always pause and go back 15 seconds if you miss something. See if you can play the game where you follow along with us as we go 10 minutes through 130 matchups in the men's and women's basketball brackets. Ten minutes on the clock starts now. So we start off in the West region. Number one seed Gonzaga. They beat Georgia State. Boise State beats Memphis. Toss-up game. UConn wins against New Mexico State. Arkansas beats Vermont. Rutgers beats Notre Dame in the first round. They're going to go on to beat Alabama. Shout out to our anarchist Rutgers team. Of course, we're going to pick them with our heart. Texas Tech, they win their first round game. Michigan State, Duke advance. Chalk victory. South region, Arizona's number two overall seed. They advance against Wright State. TCU, Seton Hall, toss-up. I'll take TCU. Houston beats UAB. Illinois beats Chattanooga. No upset there. Michigan upsets Colorado State. Don't believe in Colorado State. Don't believe in Michigan either. Don't believe in Tennessee, but Tennessee's going to win that next game. Also advance to the Sweet 16 against Michigan. Loyola Chicago, Sister Jean, they're going to beat Ohio State. Ohio State loses second year in a row in the first round. Villanova beats Delaware. Midwest region, Kansas is going to win against Texas Southern uh, or Texas A&M Corpus Christi. SDSU Aztecs fight. They win. Iowa beats Richmond. SDSU Jackrabbits fight. They beat Providence. LSU beats Iowa State. Colgate beats Wisconsin. Massive upset there. And the University of Miami, they're going to beat USC. Auburn advances there. Baylor, next region. Marquette, they're going to win. St. Mary's, they're going to win. UCLA, they're going to win. Virginia Tech pulls the upset over Texas. Cinderella team. Purdue's going to win. Murray State's going to win. Kentucky's going to win. Move to the next round. Gonzaga's going to beat Boise State. Chalk there. Arkansas, chalk there. Texas Tech beat Rutgers. Duke's going to win against Michigan State, but I would not be surprised if Michigan State pulled the upset there. Next round, Arizona TCU. Want to pick TCU? Don't know if TCU's going to be there, so for the sake of points, I'm going to take Arizona. If we're doing a fun bracket, I'll take TCU. Uh, Illinois is going to beat Houston. Sorry, Houston. Tennessee beats Michigan. Villanova advances pretty chalk there. Kansas advances. Iowa advances. LSU beats Colgate. Auburn is going to end up beating Miami, even though I like the University of Miami. Don't know if they're going to beat USC. Baylor advances. UCLA advances. Virginia Tech, massive Cinderella. They're going to go to the Sweet 16. Kentucky is going to beat Murray State, even though Murray State has lost two games the entire season. Moving on to the Sweet 16, Gonzaga, Arkansas, Pick Gonzaga, Texas Tech, Duke. Pick Duke if it's Duke. Pick uh, Texas Tech if they're playing Michigan State. Cinderella team possibly there. Arizona versus Illinois. Arizona wins that game. Unless it's TCU versus Illinois, then I'll pick TCU to go to the Elite Eight. Shout out TCU or Kofi Cockburn who might win it for Illinois. Who knows? Could be fun bracket, but I'll take Arizona just for the most probable situation. TCU advances in my fun bracket. 
Uh, Villanova beats Tennessee. I'll take Villanova to win that one. Tennessee doesn't belong in the Sweet 16. Kansas is going to beat Iowa, even though I don't know what Kansas... I can't name a single player on Kansas. I'll take Auburn to also advance. UCLA upset Baylor. Yay, fun upset. Go UCLA. They're going to knock off Baylor. And then Kentucky is going to beat Virginia Tech. Good for Kentucky. Elite 8, Gonzaga taking on Duke in the Elite 8. Gonzaga is going to win said matchup and go to the Final Four in Coach K's final game. Then we go to the South region. Arizona versus Villanova. I'll take Villanova. If it's TCU versus Villanova, I will also take Villanova to advance to the Final Four. Kansas and Auburn. I'll take Kansas, even though I cannot name a single player on Kansas. UCLA versus Kentucky. I will take Kentucky to win that matchup. Final Four. Gonzaga taking on Kentucky. I will take Gonzaga to win that matchup. And then Villanova versus Kansas. I will take Villanova to advance to the championship as a number two seed. I know it's a bold take. It's going out on a limb a little bit on my part because it's better to pick one seeds and pick the best teams. But I'm going to take Villanova and then Gonzaga versus Villanova in the championship. I will take the Gonzaga Bulldogs to win the national championship in 2022, avenging their perfect team from last season. Now we move on to the women's bracket. Now I'm going to take South Carolina, number one overall seed, to beat UIP. Or uh, I think Howard is is in that, so I'll take Howard there. Uh, Miami versus South Florida. I'll take Miami. That's a fun matchup. North Carolina versus Stephen F. Austin. I'll take UNC. Arizona versus UNLV. I'll take Arizona. Six versus 11. Georgia is going to play against Dayton or DePaul. I will take Georgia to win that matchup. Iowa State over UT Arlington. Creighton to beat Colorado. Iowa, they're a pretty good team. They'll advance against Illinois State. Moving over to the West region, Stanford taking on Montana State. I'll take Stanford. Kansas over Georgia Tech, toss-up game. Florida Gulf Coast, Dunk City. Maybe they win in women's basketball. I'll take them. Maryland advancing. Delaware uh, was in that in both tournaments this year. Shout-out to Delaware. They're 15 seed in the men's tournament, 13 seed in the women's tournament. Ohio State, they're going to advance against Florida State. LSU advancing against Jackson State. And then I will take Utah and Texas to advance in the other bracket there. Louisville taking on Albany. I'll take Louisville as the number one seed there. Nebraska-Gonzaga. I'll take Gonzaga because Nebraska can't be good at basketball on principle. Oregon-Belmont. I'll take Oregon. Tennessee to advance. BYU over Villanova. Michigan over American University. Uh, South Dakota, 10 seed. They'll advance. Baylor, they'll advance. Baylor's always good at women's basketball. Uh, NC State, number one seed there. They won the ACC, I think. Big win there. They'll be the number one seed. Uh, Washington State, they'll be a win. Eight seed. Notre Dame beats UMass. Oklahoma beats IUPUI. Kentucky over Princeton. Charlotte upsetting Indiana. Let's do a weird upset, wacky upset there. Florida over UCF. Actually, I have to pick UCF on principle. Shout out to the 2017 national champions and 2022 Gasparilla Bowl champions. UConn wins over Mercer. South Carolina beats Miami to move on to the Sweet 16. North Carolina versus Arizona. I'll take Arizona to win that one. I think Arizona made a Final Four run a couple years ago. Georgia and Iowa State. I'll take Georgia and I'll take Iowa to beat Creighton. Moving over back to the West region. Stanford versus Kansas. I'll take Stanford because one seeds advance further in the women's tournament. Uh, we'll take Maryland in the other side against Florida Gulf Coast, Dunk City. Uh, LSU, three seed, they'll advance. They have Baylor's old coach now coaching at LSU. She had a really problematic statement a couple weeks ago. Anyways, Texas, 
they advance over Utah. Uh, then we go to Louisville versus Gonzaga. I'll take Louisville. Oregon, Tennessee, Oregon. Uh, no Sabrina Ionescu, but I'll take Oregon there. BYU versus Michigan. I will take Michigan. Baylor against South Dakota. I'll go Baylor. Uh, then a lot of chalk here. NC State advancing. Uh, I'll go Notre Dame advancing. Uh, over Oklahoma, Kentucky, and Charlotte, I will take Kentucky. UCF over UConn, I will take UConn to advance. Then we go to the Sweet 16 of the women's bracket. We got three minutes to go. Wow, we made impeccable time on this. Uh, anyways, so we've got South Carolina versus North Carolina. Or sorry, sorry, South Carolina versus Arizona. My bad. So South Carolina, Arizona, I'll take Arizona in an upset. Weird, wacky upset. Not sure why, but I know that that was a, a Final Four matchup not too long ago or an Elite Eight matchup, something like that. Georgia against Iowa. I will take Iowa to advance there. Stanford versus Maryland. I will take Stanford. Ohio State or I'm sorry, not Ohio State, LSU against Texas. I will go LSU, unfortunately, but I'll take, don't like either of those schools, but I'll take LSU in that one. Louisville against Oregon. I will go with Louisville reluctantly, although I do like Oregon. Um, then we have Michigan versus Baylor. I will take Baylor to advance there. NC State over Notre Dame. UConn over Kentucky. Now we're in the Elite Eight. A lot of chalk here on my part. I apologize for making this so chalk. Uh, we've got Arizona versus Iowa. I will take Iowa to advance to the Final Four. Stanford versus Texas. I will go Stanford. Louisville versus Baylor. I will go Louisville. NC State. UConn. I will go with N. C state the up and comer on behalf of our friend Razor Rosenthal. So now we go to the final four. We have Iowa going up against Louisville and we have Stanford versus NC state. I'll take Louisville to beat Iowa and I will take NC state to beat Stanford. And in the championship game, we have NC state Louisville Two ACC schools, non-traditional basketball powers, and I will take Razor Rosenthal's NC State Wolfpack to win the championship. Nine minutes and five seconds. We did that in under 10 minutes. And this has been the fastest 10 minutes returning for the first time or second time in two years. All right. Okay. So Tom Brady is back now. I'm literally seeing this right now as it's coming in. Tom Brady is back. This is like reacting within 15 minutes of the news coming in and within like three minutes of me finding out that this is the case. Um, I don't really want to seriously analyze what this means for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're basically the same team as last year, which is maybe one of the three best teams in the NFC and the NFC doesn't have a whole lot of great quarterbacks. So I guess that the, the, the bucks are still behind the Rams and kind of behind the Packers. I don't think it really changes anything from the bucks standpoint. I just want to laugh at the fact that Tom Brady basically just went on vacation and then said, you know what? I want to play football again because this is the exact timeline that normally happens in the offseason. Tom Brady for the past like seven years has not showed up 
to OTAs. Tom Brady doesn't do the voluntary workouts. Tom Brady has an actual vacation for like two to three months. And he got back from that vacation and was like, you know what? I feel like I'm in football shape. I feel like I want to go do workouts. I'm just going to go play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers again. Now, all of you NFL reporters out there, if you are listening to this fine podcast or fine YouTube channel, if you out there are one of those NFL experts that there are too many of, given the amount of information there is, there is more information gatherers than there is actual information to gather. Someone's got to dig up the dirt on what happened behind the scenes with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because I really, really want to know what the last month looked like for Tampa Bay. I was I was really, really surprised when Tampa Bay decided to franchise tag Chris Godwin for a second season after last year because Chris Godwin had turned down a contract extension back in 2020 when Tom Brady first joined Tampa Bay. And Chris Godwin was going to get tons of money after that year. And then in 2021, they put him on the franchise tag, assuming Godwin would leave in free agency. And then Godwin tore his ACL this year, and then they franchise tagged him again, which is about the equivalent of paying him a two-year, $36 million fully guaranteed contract. Like You can't navigate this one under the salary cap. You can't clear cap space with this Chris Godwin situation. And what happened last year was that Tom Brady restructured his contract by signing that two-year extension after the Super Bowl to essentially set the Buccaneers up to give Chris Godwin the franchise tag. Like it cleared $16 million. Chris Godwin's franchise tag was worth like 18 million last year. So 18 million last year, another like 21 million this year, all of it fully guaranteed. Like they would have been better off signing Godwin to a long-term extension where they could then like restructure under the salary cap and stuff. But it was really, really weird. Like the Buccaneers decided that they were going to franchise tag Godwin again. And then a week later, Tom Brady comes back, which leads me to believe that Tom Brady had some sway in that situation. There were reports today that they were trying to go after Baker Mayfield. And I felt like it wasn't covered enough because we hadn't really processed the idea that Tom Brady wasn't going to play for for Tampa Bay the same way it was hard for us to process what the Packers were going to look like without Aaron Rodgers. And now all of a sudden we don't have to worry about it anymore because Tom Brady's going to play for the Buccaneers and the Buccaneers are going to be kind of the same team they were last year, which is they're going to run away with a ridiculously easy division and probably lose to the teams that have more talented players than them, which is, I guess, at this point, the Packers and the Rams. But again, time will tell on that situation because the Buccaneers are a super talented team also that for a while was like one of the top five or six teams in the NFL. They're like right on the precipice of an elite team and they're probably going to get worse over the off season. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Cause most people keep coming back on that team. They obviously had injuries on the offensive line and all of that stuff. Damn it. I said, I wasn't going to do serious analysis on this. The thing I want to laugh at is Tom Brady just going on vacation to Europe and then saying, you know what? I'm cool playing. I have no issues playing football still into my mid forties, which is by the way, is what he said he wanted to do 10 years ago. I cannot stress this part enough. He said 
10 years ago that he wanted to play until he was 45 years old and he played till 44. He's going to turn 45 in August. So he technically made it to 45 and now he's going to keep playing family be damned. That dude is a crazy robot. And I'm super interested in the psychology part of it because I am a psychology nerd a little bit, not so much the psychology of Tom Brady being able to execute late game drives. I don't know how much that part is really discernible given that we don't know that much about the human brain relative to like how we treat knee injuries and how we treat hip injuries. We don't really know how to treat the brain in the same way. The science is like 80 to 100 years behind all of that other stuff. So we we can't really understand the Tom Brady psychology, but I'm interested in that from the football robot that Tom Brady is. Tom Brady was always the, the robot that could always complete passes with an extreme pinpoint accuracy and wanted to keep playing because he drew his identity from football. Football was his first love beyond everything. And I'm fascinated by what happened in the month where he was like, okay, now is the time when I can start moving on. And whether, I mean, not to dig into the man's like home life, because I don't think that part's necessarily something people should be prodding into, but the info, oh, well, at the same time, the information there, whatever we can discern from that is interesting because I know Tom Brady was kind of moving into the radio and podcast and doing his business stuff. And he wanted to use the, and, and also starting to make documentaries and stuff like Tom Brady is doing the thing that LeBron James is doing and Steph Curry is doing and Russell Westbrook is doing where they're trying to like conquer Hollywood at the same time as playing football and in the content age, trying to create uh, Peyton Manning's doing this too, creating content for different media outlets and a lot of it propaganda in favor of Tom Brady. Uh, But he wanted to use that man in the arena documentary and podcast in order to give himself uh, to announce his retirement and use that as a launching pad for his businesses and his platform. And now I guess this is another opportunity to do that over again, but there's only so much that a retirement announcement is actually going to discern for him. And the fact that he pivoted on this that quickly, and by the way, didn't want to get scooped by all those news reporters that we were talking about before. He beat all of them to the news. He beat every single one of them to the news because he wasn't going to let Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington and Ian Rappaport steal his thunder on the exit like what happened the first time. He was going to announce that he was back before anyone else got the chance to, even if it was just a tweet that would drive other people to his Twitter account, which by the way, how many people are are not already following Tom Brady that this is the one thing that's going to drive them to his Twitter account, but Tom Brady did wanted to, to make the announcement on that one. And all of it is so incredibly funny. The man just went to Europe for a month and during his genuflecting and not playing football and letting his body recover from losing in the second round, but almost storming back, just decided I want to keep playing. And now that I don't hate Tom Brady anymore, because I used to just really, really disdain Tom Brady back when I took sports way too seriously because of how much of an insecure, naive child I was like all of this stuff is incredibly funny now. And you know what? To hell with all of it. Let's just let him just keep going because it's super freaking amazing that he's playing to 45. He's going to keep playing to 45. Even if he's like the 10th best quarterback in the NFL, he's still better than goddamn Kirk cousins who, by the way, at the exact same time, 
that Tom Brady announces that he's going to keep playing football. It's announced, and I want to read this tweet because it's so incredible. The Vikings are signing Pro Bowl quarterback Kirk Cousins to a one-year, $35 million, fully guaranteed extension that puts him under contract through 2023. Cousins gets a raise to $40 million in 2022, $55 million of which is payable by next March and has a full no trade clause. How the how the bleep does Kirk Cousins get a full no trade clause? This is reserved for like Kyler Murray and reserved for Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. How is Kirk Cousins getting this type of power? How is Derek Carr getting this type of power within that organization? The alternatives aren't great, but this is this wasn't even like the previous regime that I crapped on the Vikings for. Like this wasn't even Rick Spielman anymore. This is a new GM. This is a new head coach. And they're just deciding, ah, you know what? Here's a middle finger. We're just going to keep Kirk Cousins and we're going to give him another $40 million. This dude has, there's a great stat out there that between, I think it was 2018 and 2020, Kirk Cousins was like the ninth highest grossing athlete in all of America. And this dude keeps getting new contract extensions while being a third tier NFL quarterback. Now, some people I've heard over the last week have been arguing Kyler Murray is a third tier quarterback, which okay. But at the same time, Kirk Cousins continuing to get contract extensions from the Vikings is the most incredibly funny thing in the world. Cause Kirk Cousins, whole thing is just, I will not make mistakes. And they're like, well, why don't you throw the ball down the field? Because I don't make mistakes. I'm Kirk Cousins and I am going to make so much money keeping the Minnesota Vikings in eight and eight purgatory. The same way Washington was in eight and eight purgatory with me on the franchise tag. I'm going to give you eight wins. You're going to make a lot of money and you're going to give me way too much money. I can't believe, I know it's a one-year deal. I know it's semantics. They could have cut Kirk Cousins at the end of the season. This actually might set them up better to move on from Kirk Cousins after next season, but the optics of giving him another goddamn $40 million is the most amazing shit I have ever, ever seen in my life. And it's funnier to me than even Tom Brady coming back because Tom Brady just went on vacation and said, eh, I'm just going to come back and play. Kirk Cousins went on vacation and said, hey, can I get a contract? And they were like, sure, whatever. Here's another year because we don't know what the bleep to do at our quarterback position. I have been looking for some way to weave in a conversation here about the Dallas Cowboys and everything that's gone on with them over the past, you know, week to week and a half, but really something that's setting up across the last two years. Because for those of you who are new to this program, and by new, I mean since 2019 with podcasts that are no longer available on our podcast feeds, unless you're listening on Spotify, you can go like all the way to the bottom of Spotify and find some of our oldest episodes. When I was a freshman in college doing a shitty little podcast 
that now is a slightly larger but still equally shitty podcast that is also simulcasted on YouTube. Uh, so back then, I at least had the knowledge to recognize that in a salary cap sport, the great advantage the Dallas Cowboys had between 2016 and 2019 was the fact that their three star players, Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and Amari Cooper, were making a combined $14 million per season. And that after all of their rookie contracts expired and all of them got contract extensions, you could ballpark the figure at Dak Prescott making $38 million per season, uh, Ezekiel Elliott making $15 million per season, and Amari Cooper making $20 million per season. You're looking at a rough estimate of between 70 and $75 million per season allocated to the same three stars that if you want to operate under the assumption that they're still giving you equal value means that you have to subtract within the margins if you are the Dallas Cowboys. And the Dallas Cowboys are a very fascinating franchise in the ethos of American professional sports because the Dallas Cowboys do not run their football team exactly the same way that every other team in the sport does. And by the Dallas Cowboys, I mean the Jones family. And for the sake of this podcast and YouTube video, let's just specifically focus in on Jerry Jones, the longtime esteemed owner of the Dallas Cowboys, who in the 1990s built up a massive amount of credibility with his success building a winning football team and pushing back against the old guard model of NFL ownership. So when Jerry Jones first bought the Dallas Cowboys back in 1989, and he fired Tom Landry, immediately hired Jimmy Johnson, traded Herschel Walker, and the, you know, the lore is that the Dallas Cowboys then used those draft picks that they got from Herschel Walker at a time where people didn't understand the value of draft picks, and it was a whole lot of guys smoking cigars, making football teams. The Dallas Cowboys were the great advantage to the the old guard of the NFL. Jerry Jones came in with new ideas of how to run a football team. He instilled himself as general manager, Jimmy Johnson and him, picked the team. They traded all the picks, did the talent evaluation, and ultimately had the dynasty of the 1990s, the, the thing that revived the Dallas Cowboys for a new generation. But also... Jerry Jones was the owner who pushed the NFL into becoming a corporation. The NFL was an assembly of football people and old men who had purchased teams back in the 1920s and 1930s and then passed their teams on to uh, their children. So NFL ownership didn't change hands very often. It was the Roonies. It was the Maras. It was the McCaskies taking over for George Hallis in the Chicago Bears. It was the Green Bay Packers. And uh, those were the power structures of the NFL. And the NFL then transitioned into becoming a corporation in the 1990s, spearheaded by Jerry Jones pushing back aggressively against the old model of the NFL. Jerry Jones negotiated famously in the 1990s a sponsorship with Pepsi for the Dallas Cowboys for the largest endorsement contract for an individual sports franchise in the history of American professional sports, even though Coca-Cola was an official partner of the NFL. Jerry Jones was willing to take risks of being alienated and isolated by fellow franchise holding members 
in order to push his vision of the NFL forward. And lo and behold, Jerry Jones built a massive amount of credibility when everyone else realized, hey, this guy is making us a shit ton of money. And we want to move more towards being a corporation where the first and foremost priority, instead of winning football games, is to make money. And this is, a, again, the idea of an econo- of economic revival in the 1990s in America and Reaganomics taking effect in the 1980s before that, but then having an economic downturn and then economic booms of the 1990s and tech booms and things of this sort. All of this in that spirit, you see the NFL become more of a corporation, which then leads into the 2000s where football officially not just overtakes baseball as America's national pastime, football becomes monopoly on the sports media landscape, which then transitions into the 2010s in the streaming era, where football all of a sudden is keeping the cable television industry nearly single-handedly alive. And so the NFL finds itself in this position in the 1990s where this massive economic boom and franchise valuations going from you know being in the tens of millions to the hundreds of millions to every single NFL franchise being worth billions of dollars and expansion and all of these things that take the NFL from being a corporation that's worth roughly $3 billion in the 1990s to a, fran- to a corporation that is worth roughly 75 billion dollars in 2020. And Jerry Jones is at the forefront of this movement because he was the new money owner in the 1980s. Now he's old money, but he was the new money owner in the 1980s and 1990s that was willing to push back against the football men and his ally and his partner in crime in this situation was Al Davis also famous for pushing back against the NFL more so because of his grudges against the NFL, but also the fact that he also saw a vision of the NFL being about big stadiums and big events and billion dollar franchise valuations. And all of this stuff is Jerry Jones's background. And by the way, much of that pattern still carries over today into how Jerry Jones runs the Dallas Cowboys. Now, every NFL franchise prioritizes franchise valuations over winning. But Jerry Jones is in an extremely precarious situation in that he is now in 2020, as he's been for the last 15 or so years, the most powerful owner and most powerful power broker in the NFL. Jerry Jones is a leader in the room when it comes to NFL ownership meetings. There are lots of NFL owners that have power, But when you remove the money from the power factor, because every NFL chairperson has billions of dollars, the fact that they own a franchise makes them worth billions of dollars. Because of this, Jerry Jones finds himself in a unique position where he holds power among incredibly, incredibly powerful people. And so Jerry Jones, who is the most powerful person in the NFL, ultimately has the best financial interests of the NFL as his first priority. And his second priority is the best financial interests of the Dallas Cowboys. By the way, Jerry Jones was the person who also spearheaded the push for a salary cap in the 1990s as a way to suppress wages, which is ultimately great for business. It was ultimately a salary cap 
for owners like Jerry Jones, who couldn't resist themselves paying millions upon millions of dollars, the same way baseball is trying to put in a Steve Cohen tax to prevent Steve Cohen from blowing up franchise valuations and forcing people to have to compete against Steve Cohen, which will reduce profits. So basic economic principle here, just as a quick aside, that the way that you maximize revenue is you uh, uh, sorry, maximize profits is you increase revenue, which is you make more money, you sell things for higher prices, or you sell more of things, or you reduce costs. And one of your biggest costs, if you're a football team, is labor. Labor is one of your biggest costs. And who is your labor? Your coach, your football team, and your general manager. Those are the highest paid laborers within your organization. So simple fact, if you lower the cost of players to a fixed finite amount, you can then project larger profits because nobody is allowed to spend more than $200 million a year on their team. When if it were up to Jerry Jones, he would spend $200 million a year just on Patrick Mahomes. But this is a way to control himself for the best financial interest of the NFL. Jerry Jones is in a precarious position because he is always looking for the best financial interest of the NFL and the best financial interest of the Dallas Cowboys. And this is an incredibly, incredibly fascinating situation because you can see the parallels of this over the past 30 years. In the 1990s, the Dallas Cowboys were a, or sorry, Jerry Jones's Dallas Cowboys were a new upstart team that was trying different things and exposing a lot of the market inefficiencies in the NFL. In a pre moneyball era, they were the team that valued draft picks and put tons of effort in talent evaluation. Jimmy Johnson ultimately had the final say, not Jerry Jones, who was, I guess, a, you know, Jimmy Johnson makes the Hall of Fame because he identified Michael Irvin in college and then later in the NFL. He identified Emmett Smith as a third round draft pick. He got Troy Aikman with the first pick, which was fine. He identified, uh, you know, trading for Charles Haley. He identified talented players through the draft process that ultimately became the foundation of a championship team that just dominated the rest of the NFL, just dominated the NFL for four or five years while everyone tried to catch up to them because they ended up being so far ahead in exposing the fact that everyone was doing it wrong. So they dynasty in the 90s, then they start to fade out a little bit, then it turns into Bill Parcells as the coach, and then it becomes... Jerry Jones is the power broker and Jerry Jones is going to hire Wade Phillips. He's going to hire Jason Garrett. He's going to hire Mike McCarthy while he remains the general manager and his son remains a decision maker within the organization. They're going to hire, you know, coaches that aren't going to challenge the power and authority of Jerry Jones. It, you know, the Dallas Cowboys have the most money available in the NFL. They can hire any coach they want because there is no salary cap. They could throw $30 million at Bill Belichick and it would work. But Jerry Jones is the power broker for the Cowboys. And the best financial interest is to pay a coach a middle of the road salary. And the coach is ultimately going to be a, a figurehead behind Jerry Jones, who is the face of the organization. And so you see. The Dallas Cowboys in the 2000s decline, trade for Drew Bledsoe, not a whole lot of success, find Tony Romo, 
who becomes this weird overnight sensation because he's the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys and he's the best thing they've had since Troy Aikman retired. And so Tony Romo, even though he was never a Hall of Fame quarterback, gets to be the face of the Dallas Cowboys for 10 years. And you can sell an incredibly large amount of Tony Romo jerseys because he's an incredibly popular quarterback. And then that transitions into Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and Amari Cooper. And in an era where in the NFC, I love throwing this stat out there all the time, in an era of the NFC where 12 different franchises made the Super Bowl in 15 years, Start in Super Bowl 40 with the Chicago Bears losing to the Indianapolis Colts. Sorry, Super Bowl 41. The, the Bears in 2006 lose to the Colts. Then you have the Bears. You have the Giants. You have the Cardinals. You have the uh, Packers, the Saints. The Giants go again, so that doesn't count. Then you have six, the 49ers. Then you have the Seahawks twice. Then you have the Panthers, the Falcons, the Rams, then you have the Buccaneers and you have the 49ers a second time make it to the Super Bowl. I think I'm forgetting one in there. Oh, the Eagles. The Eagles won the Super Bowl in uh, Super Bowl 52. So the Eagles also in the mix. Who are the four teams that didn't make that list? The Detroit Lions, piss poor, terrible. Minnesota Vikings. They were close. Got the two conference championships. The Washington football team, one of the worst run franchises in all of North American professional sports. And the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys didn't even make it to a conference championship game. The Dallas Cowboys were always a team that was in the middle. And why were the Dallas Cowboys always a team in the middle? Because Tony Romo was always making a huge part of the salary cap. Because Des Bryant was making a huge part of their salary cap. Because Jason Witten was a huge part of their salary cap. And DeMarcus Ware, the Cowboys were always about who are the star players that we can sell jerseys for? Who are the star players we can sell tickets to? Because again, tickets are incredibly, incredibly expensive to go to Dallas. They built the gigantic, massive stadium that is still selling out every single game for the past 15 years. And what's super fascinating about this is they did it with Dez and Romo and Jason Witten. And for a time, DeMarco Murray, they tried to market him and DeMarcus Ware. And they've been really good at evaluating talent. And once they have star players, they hold on to those star players at any cost. And as we found out over the past few years, the best way to win a championship in the NFL is a combination of young talent at the same time as proven veterans. And you need to have one of those star generational players. The Dallas Cowboys have something close to that in Dak Prescott, like Dak Prescott's close to the cutoff line of generationally changing players. And we saw when Dak Prescott was on a rookie contract that the Dallas Cowboys were the number one seed in the NFC. They made it to the second round of the playoffs again with Dak and Zeke. This team was really, really good. And the Dallas Cowboys, for the first time in 20 years, had not just a team that had star veterans, but also had young guys all on rookie contracts that were changing the game for the Cowboys. It took them a long time to get that, but 2016 and 2018 were the best seasons that the Dallas Cowboys had across 20 plus years. But the other part is the Dallas Cowboys were never terrible. The Dallas Cowboys were always cool being in the middle because tanking 
is really, really bad for franchise valuations and tickets don't sell and all of that stuff. The Dallas Cowboys have had one top five pick in the last 10 to 20 years, and it's Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott was the one. Now they got Tyron Smith in the middle of the first round. They got Zach Martin in the middle of the first round, both of whom are going to be Hall of Fame caliber offensive linemen. The Dallas Cowboys have not drafted at the top of the NFL draft almost ever. And by the way, last year they traded up so they could get Micah Parsons, who they identify as this star linebacker. So the Cowboys usually do a good job at identifying star players, regardless of position, they get star players. And the Dak Prescott one they lucked into, and the Tony Romo one they luck into. But the Cowboys have been incredibly formulaic over the past 20 years in building that team. And it's about get the big stars and keep them under any circumstances. I'm always shocked when it gets pointed out, and it was pointed out on Hard Knocks last year, like this is now year seven of Dak and Zeke coming up next year. It feels like they were rookies last year or two years ago. It's crazy that we're now in year seven of Dak and Zeke in Dallas. And it's a decade of Tony Romo and Jason Witten that leads into a decade of Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, which is exactly the formula that has proven success because you can market those stars to a gigantic fan base that, yeah, winning is cool and winning would be great. But if it requires long periods of losing, then in that regard, the Dallas Cowboys probably aren't going to go that strategy. They're going to say, we will maximize profits while remaining in the middle, which is exactly what brings me to the conversation this week, which is Amari Cooper, who they signed to a gigantic extension back in 2019, got dumped in a salary cap saving move to the Cleveland Browns. And the Dallas Cowboys three years ago, when we were just starting this podcast, had to make decisions about Dak and Zeke and Amari Cooper. And they gave up a first round pick to get Amari Cooper. And they signed him for $100 million after his contract was over. I think so it was 2018 that he got traded. So 2018, 2019, 2020. So they got two, they got a year and a half of Amari Cooper for a first round pick and then signed him to a long-term contract extension for two more years and then dumped him onto the Cleveland Browns after the fact. So they got three and a half years out of Amari Cooper in the same way that the Minnesota Vikings got that out of Stefan Diggs and then dumped Stefan Diggs to Buffalo, where now that he gets an elite quarterback has a total career revitalization. And I don't think that's going to happen for Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper is going to a situation that does not have a star turning quarterback and Baker Mayfield is kind of in quarterback purgatory right now where the Browns don't have anything better and no one has a better offer for him. So they're kind of just stuck where they are right now. And so I look at the situation here where the Dallas Cowboys are doing the best they can to market their stars. And by the way, you know who else is looking at being cut right now? Demarcus. Lawrence, who was the other player that they signed to a five-year, $100 million contract, or I think his was 80-something million dollars, but semantics, signed to a gigantic portion of their salary cap back in 2019. And why are they just moving off of those players? Well, because they now have Micah Parsons, 
star edge rusher on a rookie contract, and C.D. Lamb, star wide receiver on a rookie contract. Their last two first-round picks replace their need for Amari Cooper and Demarcus Lawrence to make $39 million per year. And while most teams make this move, there is no argument that can be made that the Dallas Cowboys are better tomorrow than they are today by moving off of Amari Cooper and Demarcus Lawrence. Now, whatever they do with the rest of the money changes the math there, but now we know that the Cowboys just gave Michael Gallup a five-year, $63 million contract extension to be cheaper Amari Cooper. So they're paying him $13 million now to be a wide receiver too, while Amari Cooper, who by the way, is one of the most talented wide receivers to ever enter the NFL draft. Like Amari Cooper is a really, really good wide receiver. He's just in an offense where when he was the number one, he was going for 200 yards in a game for the Cowboys in 2019 and earning that contract extension. And now that CeeDee Lamb is a younger version of Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper's services aren't needed at $20 million a year because it was always Amari Cooper is worth $15 million, but is he worth $20 million? And this was always the conversation of percentages of the salary cap because Amari Cooper is worth $30 million on the open market. He's just only worth $15 million in a salary cap sport. But Amari Cooper finds himself in a position where Amari Cooper now gets to leave the Cowboys or gets forced to go to the Browns and Amari Cooper no longer gets to be famous face of the Cowboys because the Cowboys can now just sell CD lamb jerseys and they can now sell Micah Parsons as star players of the future. And the Dallas Cowboys are again, going to be middle of the road. The Cowboys last year were a team that was like on the precipice of a star team. They were kind of above average And now you're subtracting Amari Cooper and Demarcus Lawrence, who the only argument you can make for getting rid of both of them is the contract. But the Cowboys also aren't adding any pieces for getting rid of those guys. The Cowboys are going to remain in the middle because they have Dak, because they still have Ezekiel Elliott, who, by the way, is probably the next one to head out the door if they didn't market him as the crazy star that he was and sign him to a seven-year contract extension. They gave him a seven-year contract, which never happens in the NFL because they're selling Zeke and selling Dak as the franchise, and they will hold on to those two for as long as they can and interchange them with CeeDee Lamb and interchange them with Micah Parsons because they just because the Cowboys know after years and years, how do we evaluate the star player's in the draft. And they've done this better than anyone else. Like this is a part that I think a lot of teams fall into the trap on, which is they find a piece, but they don't find a piece because the draft is all about get the best player available, no matter what position that they play. Now, if you have a star quarterback and a star quarterback's available, maybe not that, but get the best player available that you can get is always the most effective strategy. The Cowboys have figured this part out What they haven't figured out exactly is how to supplement players around them because Dak Prescott is great. Dak Prescott will just lose to Patrick Mahomes down the road. Tony Romo is great. He will just lose down the road. And instead of trying to find a way to win a championship, the Cowboys are cool looking at it and saying they are good enough to sell. First priority, we can sell these players and we're going to keep re-upping Dak and we're going to keep re-upping Tony Romo. And it's not going to be good enough to win a championship, but with the perfect combination Maybe we can make a deep playoff run and always remain relevant. If you win, that's a plus. 
But Jerry Jones's first priorities are always financial interest of the NFL and financial interest of the Dallas Cowboys, which again, this is not like a shade to Jerry Jones. Like not every NFL team has to be concerned with winning a championship. Now, if you're a fan, you'd like to believe that your team is actively trying to win a championship, but it's not always going to be the case. The Minnesota Vikings, as we just laughed at a second ago, gave Kirk Cousins $40 million. They are not going to win a championship, but there is no move that the Minnesota Vikings could make that will make them good enough to win a championship. It takes organizational competence to build up a champion team. And even then, even as great as the Rams have been, and even as great as Sean McVay is as a coach, you still need Aaron Donald to be bigger, stronger, and faster than every single person he's playing against on the field and get to Joe Burrow half a second before Joe Burrow can throw the game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. All of it is so difficult. And it's just weird that in a, in a, parody-filled NFC, the Dallas Cowboys have been the team that's like consistently in the middle, but never good enough to make the leap because they're not going to sacrifice the difficult move in order to get there. The, the right move for the Cowboys originally probably would have been to trade Amari Cooper in a sign-and-trade after 2020 or sign-and-trade Ezekiel Elliott when his contract came up. And I know those are difficult things to point to, but I said back in 2019, and I want to go find the audio to prove it on this podcast. Like they're only going to be able to keep two of those guys and still realistically compete. Dak was going to be the one that they kept around, but we weren't sure what Dak was in 2019. Now we know he's one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL, which if you've got one of those, you want to hang on to him. Sure, you might lose to Mahomes or sure, you might lose to Aaron Rodgers. But it's better than being a team like the Browns who are just kind of circling the wagon trying to find a quarterback as good as Dak Prescott for 25 years. And now with Baker Mayfield being kind of stuck in the middle in the hopes that Baker Mayfield becomes as good as Dak Prescott, which he won't be. We, we weren't sure before, but now we know he won't be. And if you if you decide to keep Dak, then that means Zeke or Amari or both need to go. And by the way, they did the right move. They did the right move, like drafting C.D. Lamb where they did. C.D. Lamb should have been a top 10 pick in that draft. The Cardinals should have taken him at pick eight. And lo and behold, he happened to fall to 15 and the Cowboys took advantage of that. The same way the, the Panthers were dumb enough to not take Micah Parsons at eight. The Broncos were not good enough to take Micah or not smart enough to take Micah Parsons at nine. And so the Cowboys traded up. They're like, well, this guy's a star. Why would you not take him? We were all screaming at our TV for the Panthers to take Justin Fields or Micah Parsons. They took JC Horn. We were yelling at the Broncos to take those guys. They took Patrick Sertan. And so the Cowboys traded up and took advantage again of, his, of the system that decided, hey, we're just going to undervalue these guys. Jerry Jones is pretty good at being a general manager. I'm not going to say he's the greatest, but he's been doing it long enough to a point where they recognize that they're willing to listen to smart people on figuring out who the star players are and having the willingness to draft those star players, whether it be Tyron Smith or whether it be Zach Martin or whether it be Des Bryant or whether it be Zeke Elliott or whether, you know, they luck into Dak Prescott, obviously. Jerry Jones wanted to take Paxton Lynch, by the way. Whether it be CeeDee Lamb, whether it be Micah Parsons, trading a first-round pick for Amari Cooper and having him go for a 1,000 yards immediately after acquiring him. All of these things 
are the Dallas Cowboys doing the job right? And when it comes down to it, they will sign these people to extensions every single time because it's good for business. And good for business does not always connotate to wins because the Dallas Cowboys can sell stars. They have a star on the helmet and they can sell star players. And in this case, other than 2016 and 2014, the year that the Dez caught it thing happened, Dallas Cowboys have been pretty good and they'll just lose to teams that have Aaron Rodgers or they'll lose to the Rams who had Aaron Donald or they'll lose to the 49ers at the end of that game because the 49ers have eight all pro players or they'll you know beat the Seahawks in the playoffs and then lose to the Rams or they'll you know lose to well they lost the Packers twice the point still stands they'll lose to the teams that have players better than them but they have good enough to always remain relevant which always keeps them in what we like to call Kirk Cousins purgatory but it should be Jerry Jones purgatory because Jerry Jones has set them up in such a way that they're always going to be respectable They're going to be good at talent evaluation and they're going to remain in the middle because they just can't get their hands on a Patrick Mahomes type, or they just can't get their hands on a Josh Allen type. And by the way, you could have one of those guys if you only just open the salary cap and let Jerry Jones, the richest franchise in football, spend exorbitant amounts of money. Jerry Jones would have a championship team 10 times over if the NFL didn't have a salary cap because he could just buy the best players the same way Steve Cohen's buying the best players in Major League Baseball, even though Major League Baseball also has a soft salary cap. They wouldn't all work out, but Patrick Mahomes would work out. He could assign Patrick Mahomes to a $150 million extension, but it's not good for business. If teams are throwing around gigantic amounts of money and granting power to labor, it's not good for management. And unfortunately, management has come together and decided we will sacrifice build, uh, sacrifice our own personal incentives. In the case of Jerry Jones, building a championship team would make the Dallas Cowboys even more valuable than they already are. But we're going to sacrifice our personal success in exchange for the long-term viability of the NFL to make profits and maximize profits. Jerry Jones takes one for the team on that one. And he's been taking one for the team for the last 25 years. And the way that he's operated within the margins is to say, we're just going to be in the middle and be able to sell our stars. And he did that for years with Amari Cooper and Demarcus Lawrence. He signed them to giant extensions and said, these are the five players. It's Tony Romo. It's Jason Witten. It's Des Bryant. It's it's Demarcus Lawrence. Then it's Tyron Smith. Instead of Demarcus, uh, sorry, Demarcus Ware, not Demarcus Lawrence. Then it's Demarcus Lawrence instead of Demarcus Ware. They have the same uh, same first name. Then it's going to be Tyron Smith instead of Jason Witten. And then it's going to be Zach Martin, who as an offensive lineman gets underpaid because people don't value interior offensive linemen the way they should. And then it's going to be Dak Prescott instead of Tony Romo. And then it's going to be Ezekiel Elliott instead of Des Bryant. And then it's going to be Amari Cooper. And then it's going to be C.D. Lamb, and we're going to get rid of Amari Cooper because why do we need Amari Cooper when we have C.D. Lamb? And that's the formula that keeps the Cowboys in the middle across the last 25 years. This offseason is just the difficult offseason they have to have after two years ago, right before the start of the global pandemic, they gave Amari Cooper $100 million. Now that they have C.D. Lamb, they don't need to pay Amari Cooper $100 million.
Ground ball to shortstop. Campbell going to first. The San Diego Padres get their first no hitter in the history of the franchise. And lost to San Diego's own Joe Musgrove, sending the yeah. star Well, 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 while we got to celebrate March Madness brackets and talk about Tom Brady and NFL transactions and all kinds of crazy stuff this weekend, we also got baseball fans being able to celebrate Isaiah Kiner-Falefa getting traded to the Minnesota Twins, which is a big deal because Isaiah Kiner-Falefa being able to be traded to the Minnesota Twins is something that could not have happened when we last recorded our podcast, except for the Wired Up that was a promo for the Believe in Texans podcast that I do, and, you know, more pressing conversation about Deshaun Watson. But, yeah, baseball came to a compromise on their labor deal, even though the labor lawyers who were representing the union, there were eight of them and then 30 player representatives for each team, the eight people who were union representatives voted against signing the CBA. All of the baseball players, or not all of them, a majority of them, I believe it was 26 to 4 of the baseball player reps ended up agreeing to the new collective bargaining agreement. And so now we get a normal baseball season, which was always an option on the table. I know that I did the Doomer Gloom podcast for a couple days of saying it will be either a month or it will be a full season, and that's how long players are willing to hold out on this situation to avoid a new collective bargaining agreement. But a compromise was always an option. Like, compromising in this situation was something that it just seemed like after months of negotiation wasn't actually going to happen, but lo and behold, they came to an agreement on the international draft. They came to an agreement on rule changes, as we talked about last week, how baseball just wanted to change all at once and then not deal with changes again. They came to even a compens- uh, an agreement on the competitive balance tax situation, which looked like it was going to go on forever, and they came to a compromise on the amount that are the pre-arbitration amount that they would allocate to players who are star types. I think the union was asking for 80. Uh, the, the league was offering 25. I think they compromised somewhere around 55. I didn't read the exact number, but still they came to a compromise on the situation, which was fascinating because it looked like they were going to stand to lose money to stand on the principle of these matters. And that's both sides, by the way, we're going to stand on this. The the union was not going to cave and the owners were not going to cave. And lo and behold, they actually did end up coming to a compromise. Who would have thunk it? I certainly didn't because we had been saying for months we were going to have a lockout situation. And lo and behold, they ended up 
coming to terms on a situation. So I get to be wrong on that. Not about the it will be a month versus it will be a year thing. That was if we came to a stalemate. And we had a whole lot of conversations last week about labor versus management, whether it was talking about Kyler Murray and the Cardinals situation or whether it was talking about this thing with baseball. It seems like contracts and labor negotiations seem to be a theme of this time of year as football we don't have games to watch anymore or talk about and we also like the transaction sometimes more than we like the actual results and NBA trades with Ben Simmons and NBA players having levels of power that baseball players also that the star baseball players have but at the same time the uh, the star football players don't have the same level of power but also Russell Wilson flex the power and as this whole transaction window goes along we like talking about contracts and labor versus management and all that stuff and lo and behold baseball ended up coming to a fun little compromise on the in-between which I didn't think was going to end up happening but it did and so I get to be wrong about that situation but I was right about the the month versus year thing because that's if we come to a stalemate and no one is willing to move which by the way kind of seems like what's happening in the Kyler Murray situation which is everyone's in a stalemate and Kyler Murray's going to flex as much leverage as he possibly can to get a contract extension from the Arizona Cardinals and the Arizona Cardinals are going to kind of come after them a little bit and you know they're going to tell him to pound sand and it might get a little ugly but maybe Kyler Murray's trying to extend an olive branch but uh, anyways all of that is going to be a weird situation where Kyler Murray and he, you know he's an example of labor versus management and not a willingness to not compromise to stand your ground and to battle for what you believe you fairly deserve and baseball decided to come to a compromise on this situation which was in my opinion shocking and something a lot of people were articulating for and if people weren't doing it in good faith and just being the why can't we all get along and compromise on this uh, why can't we all just get along and decide to play a good old-fashioned baseball when that really means why can't the players just give up the power and so all of this ends up all of this ends up coming to a place where I feel good that there's a compromise. Compromise is usually good in this situation. I would have liked if the union had fought a little bit on the matter, but I don't know exactly what the players were looking at at this point and saying that we were going to fight for it. It, it. The language had seemed like both sides were trying to win a bitter fight that you know baseball immediately apologizes to its fans in its statement afterwards, but it looked like there was a, a big old fight that was going to drag out for the next few weeks, and it didn't happen which is good for the sake of the world being a more civil place, but maybe not the greatest way because sometimes you need a fight in order to fight for change, and sometimes you got to take risks. And I thought that was the direction baseball was trying to go. Or, I'm sorry, the, the baseball union and baseball management, actually. I thought both sides were not going to cave on this issue, but they did end up finding a compromise. And lo and behold, there's going to be a regular opening day. So, ladies and gentlemen... Thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. My Essentially, my entire baseball segment actually was just a who would have thunk it situation three days too late, reacting seven minutes at the very end of this podcast to baseball. Anyways, uh, enjoy the Rob Stone rap anthem. I think I want to bring that back for next year unless we find something that works better or more fun in that way. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here. We're going to have fun guests joining us all throughout this next week. I hope you all have a fantabulous, fantabulous day. And as always, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.
This is Kyle from the future. Before we finish off this podcast, in the middle of us recording, you may have heard me make a joke about Isaiah Kiner-Falefa getting traded from Texas to Minnesota. And lo and behold, as we were recording our final segment... The New York Yankees are finalizing a deal to acquire third baseman Josh Donaldson and shortstop Isaiah Kiner-Falefa from Minnesota. Who's going back to Minnesota? Well, that would be Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela, key pieces of the last five years of the New York Yankees run, which means the New York Yankees are panicking. The New York Yankees are seeing the writing on the wall of many of their bad decisions, and they are panicking. And the the Minnesota Twins are in teardown mode after a terrible season last year and now Gary Sanchez finally gets traded after getting destroyed for years and years I think Mitch Garver also just got traded by Minnesota so I guess it makes sense why they acquired Gary Sanchez to be their meaningless catcher for a season unless they flipped Gary Sanchez all of it very funny and I just wanted to point out that as we were recording our final segment Gary Sanchez and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa swatched, swapped teams. So now Kiner-Falefa gets to join Rogie Odour and the reject Texas Rangers filling the benches of the New York Yankees. Didn't think there would be serious baseball analysis at the end of the show, but here we are on a Memes of the Weekend, seriously breaking down a trade that probably in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter, but the Yankees did upgrade from Josh Donaldson or to Josh Donaldson from Giovanni Urshela. And that's the news of the day that came in as we were recording a final baseball segment here on the podcast. So this is me from 20 minutes in the future talking about twins and Yankees making baseball trades. Not how I expected this March Madness slash Tom Brady slash NFL free agency slash Kirk Cousins Monday to finish off. But here we are. 